If you would turn with me um, in your Bibles to um, the book of the Psalms, chapter 23, Psalms chapter 23, as we prepare to contemplate the virtue of gentleness. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our New Testament reading, if you would stand with me, sorry, I forgot to say that. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, from the first three verses. Galatians 6. 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, When he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is the word of God. You may be seated. If you would go with me to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we have read your word, Lord, we pray you would speak to us through it, Lord, that you would convict us of this need for gentleness, Lord, that you would show your kindness and mercy towards us again as we approach your throne. Lord, we pray that we might know your love, your goodness, your patience with us, Lord, and that it might cause us to rejoice in you. Lord, we pray you speak to us through your apostle. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the marks of how healthy a church is, is how it deals with 
failure? How do we face and overcome sins and weaknesses which continue to burden the body of Christ? How can we face sins within the body of believers and not be crushed by them? First, I think this requires a commitment as a church to truth, to a particular truth, a truth in how we appraise ourselves and how we appraise others. A commitment to moving past all pretenses, all facades, that we aren't sinners. It involves facing the fact that sin is in the church and then confessing that fact to God. As Paul says in Romans, I do not do the good things I want to do, but I do bad things I do not want to do. Part of the struggle of every church is to learn this kind of honesty, this commitment to truth-telling, that sin isn't to be glossed over, it's not to be explained away, but rather it is to be acknowledged and confessed. That a church must not hide from judgment, but rather open ourselves up to God so that he may truly work in the body of God. And in our life, a Christian response to failure must prioritize truthfulness because it is in the confession of our failure that we open ourselves up to the grace of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner, so everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. But it is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for us to understand, that it confronts us with the truth saying, you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as that sinner you are to the God who loves you. We might emphasize that it is only in the confession of our sin that we might be radically transformed and made holy. Christian holiness does not arise from us feigning our own sanctification but by confessing our weakness. It's why each week we as a body and all throughout the OPC, we hear God's word read and then we turn together in prayer towards God and confess our sin. All the while praying that it doesn't become merely formulaic, but rather is a heartfelt expression of who we are. But alongside truthfulness, we must prioritize something else, a peculiarly Christian way of dealing with weakness, both in ourselves and of others, which both expresses the character of the gospel 
and fulfills the law of Christ, as Paul states in Galatians. Gentleness. Christian gentleness. Christian gentleness, which is not overlooking or ignoring failure, but rather addressing it in a particularly Christian manner. And I do think gentleness is something particularly, uniquely Christian, and perhaps still pervades in post-Christian societies. For the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, the problem with Christianity was it praised virtues like gentleness. It was actually endorsing a form of self-hatred, he said. What he called the crushing of oneself, the scorn of one's own nature. Jesus had declared, blessed are the meek. This was utterly contemptible as far as Nietzsche is concerned. Wherever Christianity spread, so also extended the victory of the lowborn, of the weak, of the poor. The human spirit, he might say, ought to be allowed to exalt itself. For from its freedom comes forth its true greatness and nobility. In the 21st century, we have continued to see a rise of those who are passionately strong, those exalting in their own power and strength. We elect and revere leaders who can crush others. In our anxiety about the rapidly changing world, we don't have time for leaders who are gentle who are patient. According to various academic management studies, we frequently promote narcissists and psychopaths within our workplaces. Time and time again, we forgive their arrogance. We bracket out their abuses of their power for the sake of their success because we feel that we need power to get things done. From churches to Wall Street to the halls of government buildings. And yet into this context, Christ comes calling for us to speak truthfully and to speak gently. What is this gentleness we are called to? Christ says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are lowly. Commonly, I think we like to hedge what Christ says here as he says, blessed are the meek. We like to hedge it by defining it as blessed are those who are very strong and yet are capable of restraining that power. As Jordan Peterson says, those who have swords and know how to use them but keep them sheathed shall inherit the world, as he paraphrases Jesus' commandment. This conception of meekness, of gentleness, points us towards perhaps the athlete, the quarterback who can sling a ball 70 yards and yet has the touch to throw it five yards to a wide receiver running a slant. A ballerina whose muscles contain explosive power, and yet at all times they withhold that power for the sake of elegance and beauty. This is an aesthetic 
gentleness. But is the same true of ethical gentleness? Is the same true of Christian gentleness? Is the same true of how we are to relate to other human beings gently? Right? The complication here is that to achieve such a version of gentleness, you need to have power in the first place. Does true gentleness come from having power but restraining it? Is it precisely the knowledge that the gentle person could have chosen to use their power that makes them virtuously gentle? This kind of understanding would seem to suggest that only those who are already strong and powerful can be gentle, as Christ calls us. Must we prize the gentleness of athletes, but not the disabled? Must we prize gentleness in adults, but not in children, in the rich, but not in the poor? What if I have no strength which I can conceal? Can I then be gentle? I think a corrective is then to see gentleness more properly by looking at the object rather than the subject. It is about how another person is treated, whether we are stronger or weaker than that person. When we treat someone gently, we don't seek to exercise power over them. To treat someone gently is to see their vulnerability and fragility, and yet not to crush them or break them. They may be physically, morally, emotionally, or spiritually vulnerable to us in any moment. We give them what they may not deserve, but as human beings, what they certainly need. This would look different in situations which differ and with different people. This is to say that gentleness is a form of love to those who are in need of it. In the church, it is the love of sinners with all their flaws, with all their sins, and encouraging them in the midst of darkness, in the midst of their most vulnerable moments, when either their sins or weaknesses are exposed, encouraging them with the gospel, encouraging them with their Savior, encouraging them with the reality that we too are stumbling and in need And yet we too share that same Savior. As believers, we ought to be marked by a courageous humility grounded in the knowledge that we are deeply loved by our Father in heaven. And that ought to be exercised through this virtue of gentleness towards those whom we come into contact with. What is gentleness? As it says in verse 2 here, it is the law of Christ, which means it is the law of love. The one who loves his neighbor fulfills the law, as Jesus says. The call to gentleness is the call to love our neighbors, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. When everyone compassionately helps his neighbor and loves his brother and sister, The law of Christ is fulfilled. 
What is gentleness? It is a necessary response to the gospel. Now, I think there are three things we might bring out of this passage as to why we are to be gentle and pointing us to how. First, we are to be gentle with failure because the sinners of whom Paul is speaking here are the ones who have been overtaken in trespasses. As he says, if any one of you is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And in verse 2 he says, watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Paul here is dealing with weakness within the early church, weaknesses within our own churches. He's not here dealing with wolves in leadership who are seeking to obtain power and destroy others. And yet he points here us to the reality that we are sinners within the church and the church is filled with sinners. With weak people, with people who stumble, with people who continually fall into the same traps and temptations. People whom annoy us and annoy others because we have yet to be fully sanctified by our Lord and Savior. The truly gentle person finds their gentleness emerging when seeing the weaknesses in these other people when seeing their vulnerability, when seeing their need and being moved by the love of Christ Jesus. When we see that a brother has fallen, let us reflect that he has fallen into the snares of Satan, Calvin says. Let us be moved with compassion and ready to forgive him. The language of snare Trap, temptation, it is all over Scripture. In verse 1, Paul uses this language of temptation. The point is that sin is the product of our weakness this side of heaven. That it is the result of us yet to be strengthened in the gospel as we will be in heaven. Theologian Michael Jensen says this, Treat the weak and the broken with soft hands. It is so easy to crush another person, perhaps easier than we imagine. Those we meet may be deeply damaged and may operate from their hurt. To be treated with gentleness when, when all you have met in life is fierce, crushing aggression is transformative. This is especially true with all, with, with that form of loving gentleness known as forgiveness. Why are we called to be gentle? Because we are dealing with the weakness of fellow believers. Second, why are we called to be gentle? We are to deal gently with failure because we must bear in mind our own weaknesses. Others are weak in the face of temptation in the church, and yet so are we. Verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. 
Again, we are called to recognize the Christian life is not an achievement of human action, but rather it is a gift from God. To judge our brothers and sisters is to think we ourselves are righteous and might take the seat and scepter of God to usurp his throne and to sit in his place and to cast judgment. But in spite of our weaknesses, we continually find in our lives, and I know I do, that we are often proud, we are often self-righteous, we often gloss over our own sins while magnifying the sins of others. For a person looking on himself or herself through the spectacles of self-love, Ralph Cudworth says, We think every sin of ours a small gift to God, which he sees to be in himself to be far greater than... He sees every small gift of God, which he sees in himself to be far greater than his truth and the truth it is. Imagining mere shadows to be substances, moleholes to be big as mountains... For as a man that is in love does not think the blemishes and deformities in his love to be ornaments that make her more beautiful, so those with narcissism are in love with themselves, dote their own gifts, judge the vices that they see to be in themselves as virtues. This again is our continual danger as believers. Believers who are being sanctified and yet are far more likely to think that we are far more sanctified than we actually are. Who are far more likely to praise some small good in ourselves than some great good in our brothers and sisters. Who are far more likely to minimize a sin we have done than to minimize a sin against us. We see this in the character of David. David, whom is able to minimize the sin of murder and adultery, and yet is so quick to judge this parabolic farmer who has stolen a sheep. I'm sure this same aspect was true in Judas as he betrayed Christ, And yet I'm sure he was able to minimize that sin and, until it was shoved in his face and the reality of what he had done had overcome him. Despite our own frailty, the sad truth is we often do not treat each other gently. We could think of examples of cruel behavior, human brutality can be boringly routine, and day-to-day life. You just have to think back to a school playground to recognize the sheer ordinariness of our meanness to others. That is just as true of ourselves as it is of society. Why are we to deal gently with others? Because they are weak, because we are weak, and third, We're to deal gently with others' failure because we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to bear one another's burdens. As Proverbs 16 puts it, gracious words are a honeycomb, 
sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. As Augustine puts it, there is no sure test of the spiritual person than his treatment of another's sins. Note how he takes care to deliver the sinner rather than triumph over him, to help him rather than to punish him, and so far as lies in his capacity to support him. We are to bear one another's burdens. It is why we are saved into a body of believers, a body of sinners, because it is a body which can mutually encourage one another day after day as a communal life together allows us to pursue a Savior together who is greater than all of us, so that when one of us is weak, another one who is strong in that moment might lift the other up and show them a Savior who is stronger than all. We are saved into a body so that we might stoop down and show the gentleness of Christ to that individual in that moment. A Christ who loves sinners, who meets sinners and helps sinners. And yet the reality is that gentleness is often passed over because gentleness is risky. Each action of gentleness is in it ask the question of whether that person will take your gentleness and use it to stab you in the back, to abuse your kindness, to abuse your mercy and patience towards them. The reality is gentleness may not always be repaid in kind. We've heard stories over and over of parents who seek to help their kids one last time, and yet in helping them are stolen from or abused. Countless stories of people inviting someone into their home, and yet having that home torn apart because of it. That gentleness might be met with scorn or hatred, someone not asking for help. Gentleness is not always repaid with gentleness. Gentleness is often despised. Gentleness can be used by a person filled with hatred to gain position, to gain power. And an act of gentleness is often perceived of as weakness and seized upon by the ruthless. Which is why true gentleness does take strength. Not physical strength, not monetary strength, not the strength of power, but rather the strength of trusting in Christ that we might put aside self-protection and hope and trust in the possibility of a different kind of world in our Savior. To be gentle takes courage to hope that gentleness runs with the grain of the universe rather than against it. That the Lord of the universe is indeed gentle and we will reward gentleness. That the hatred and greed and power 
which so often pervades society, isn't what characterizes the world that God created, but rather a corruption of it. And how can we know this but to look at a Savior who is gentle to sinners? The reality which Scripture points us to is that Christ is our judge That Christ stands over the entire world, over the entire universe, and reigns and rules and will cast judgment upon each human deed, upon each reality. But that he is gentle and that he is merciful. Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, said this, that your very sin moves Christ to pity more than to anger. His pity is increased the more towards you, even as the heart of the father is to a child that has some loathsome disease. Or as one is to a member of his body that has leprosy, we do not hate that member, for it is his own flesh, but the disease. And that provokes him to pity for the part affected all the more. Hebrews 5.2 says that Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. The point is that Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to him, irrespective of the particular offense, irrespective of how heinous it is, because he loves his children. When we sin we must bring our mess to Jesus because we know he will receive us gently. Because we know he will receive us in his mercy. Because we know he will not cast us aside because it is he who died for us. It is he who covered us in his blood. It is he who bought us, who freed us from our sin, who freed us from our misery. Dane Ortland, in his recent book, Gentle and Lowly, said that rather than dispensing grace to us from on high as if God is apart from us, he gets down with us, he puts his arm around us, he deals with us in this way just as we need. He deals gently with us. Do you realize that God stoops down to you in your sin, in your rebellion against him? And as we confess our sins in the very place where we are, he comes and he gathers us to himself. That in our muck and misery, he has embraced us so that he might help us. This observation remakes our understanding of gentleness. Because the focus is not so much on the virtue of the person who is gentle, or whether they are withholding strength or how much, but rather the point is that gentleness is virtuous because it recognizes, it addresses with care the vulnerability of the other person. Christ shows us how gentleness is essentially a form of Love And as the Father has loved us, so we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we have not love for our brothers and sisters, how can we say we 
have experienced the love of God? How can we who say our Lord and our Savior have come to us in our sin and our misery, who have embraced us, who have shown us our love, His love, how can we say we have experienced such mercy and yet not show mercy to those who are in need of it? Those who are weak, those who are faltering, those who are going through trials and temptations. It is the love of God which is to shine forth in our life, and so it is the gentleness of our Savior which is to shine forth in us to others. How can we as a body, how can you here at resurrection deal with the failures of others in your midst? How can you deal with risking to expose your own failures before others? The answer is that resurrection is a community which is called to radical truthfulness regarding its sin. But also to radical gentleness. We can afford to risk being gentle because we have an assurance that gentleness wins in the end even as it may change what we think what winning actually is. As Christians see it, the assurance stems from the divine gentleness expressed in the words of Jesus, which we'll close with. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Have you found rest for your soul? Come to Christ Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we hear the words of Christ, words which express your own heart. Come, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and Lord, we are those people. Lord, we are those who are in need. We are those who are strung out by the weights of evil and all the pains of this world. Lord, we are those who are exhausted by our own lack of strength in the face of the darkness. Lord, in the face of our earthly toil. And yet, Lord, we hear you beckon us to come, Lord, and we pray you might give us the grace that we might come to you. Lord, that we might be given the grace to seek your face, Lord, that we might be given the grace to grab hold of you because you have grabbed hold of us. Lord, we pray, Lord, that in you we might find peace, that we might find rest. Lord, that in our Savior we might find the love which we have been seeking. And Lord, that because we have experienced such love and mercy, Lord, that we might pour it out on others. Lord, we pray that you might fill us with your Spirit. Lord, that you might... Hold us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.